Okay, good morning. Um, today's daf is daf Chov Zayin. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishma as Leib Ben Baruch Halevi. May his neshama have his analiyah and his memory be a blessing. And um, we're up to the sixth last line of Chov Vav Amud Beis, um, 26b. So remember yesterday we were discussing that, um, you know, just one interesting point from yesterday, uh, where we left off. But yesterday we were discussing why don't the Kohanim do Nesiyah's Kapayim at Mincha? And then th- that was the general question. And then the more specific question that the Gemara was going into is what about on a fast day? Because the reason that they don't do Nesiyah's Kapayim at Mincha is by that t- stage most people have eaten, they've had lunch. So there's a little bit of, uh, there's a good chance that they've had something to drink. And if they've had something to drink, then they're not allowed to do Birkas Kohanim. They're not allowed to do Duchen anymore. And that's why Mincha we never Duchen. And then the question was, oh, what about on a fast day when clearly they haven't had anything to eat or drink? They definitely won't be, they won't be Shachrus, they won't be Shachrus, they won't be drunk. Or even had a refuse of wine. So maybe you should allow it for Mincha Nu'ila. Interesting, so there was a Machloikes there, just before we go on to the new point. There was Machloikes there. So the, the whole question was, everyone assumed Shachris and Musaf, no one's drunk or anything by that stage. So therefore, you can have, um, there is Birkas Kohanim. As I said, this, that we have the Minag in Chutz Laaretz, uh, Ashkenazim in the Minag have the Minag in Chutz Laaretz to only Duchon at Musaf on Yom Tov is actually very uh, contentious in uh, in the halo- according in the, in the halakhic discussions, because where do we get that from? We should be in every day, and every day at Shachris and Musaf. Again, then there was a machlokes about Mincha and the Ilon fast days. Once on a fast days, no one eating or drinking. Is there a that just as we never say Birkas um, Kohanim in the afternoon, so too we never say it then? Or is it just as we never say Birkas Kohanim at Mincha, so it's on a fast day? Or maybe on a fast day you actually can say it. But everyone agreed in principle that Shachris and Musaf, you can say it. Which implies that, you're not, uh, that you are not allowed to eat before Musaf. However, the halacha clearly comes out from Masech, in Masechah's brachas that you are allowed to eat before Musaf. So it seems uh, the distinction is um, having a, specifically having a meal. If you look, and, then, and that's how the Machaber Paskins... Well, that's in Simon Reish uh, Heivov. In Simon Reish Heivov, if Gimel, he says, Mutalitom Kodem Tfilas HaMusaf. You're not having something a little bit to eat before Musaf. Tahaina Achilas Peiros or Afilu Pas Muat. You're allowed to have fruit or even just a little bit of bread. Afilu Tzimus Yeish Bokadai Lisod Alev. And if it qualifies as like, let's call it a snack, like eating fruit, then even if it's enough to fill you up, but a meal would be forbidden. So, I mean, so that's the halacha, that's how we pass it, that theoretically you could. It seems nowadays we're very reluctant to do that, but there are times when we, re- we rely on this and have a little bit to taste, a little bit to eat before Musaf. Um, the issue is, Al Gomorrah seems to take for granted that there's no eating or drinking before Musaf. So you might, maybe the answer is that the distinction is, do, are you telling me it is a, a meal or is it just a snack? 
Okay, but that was uh, that was just an interesting halacha that comes out from the end of yesterday of the of what we learned yesterday. Now, just to go before to get into the new point, so everyone agrees that if a kohen has had someone, he's definitely not allowed to drink. He's not allowed to duchen. So the kuli amamiyas shikur also benesias kapayim. Someone who's had something to drink is not allowed to duchen, not allowed to do nesias kapayim. Minani mili, what's the source for this? So Amar Rabbi Yeshua ben Leivdi Mishum bar Kapora lama nismucho parshus kohen mevorech leparshus nazir. Why is the broch the, the paragraph in the Chumash where it discusses the kohanim saying their brocha? Next to the Nazir, also to teach us that just as the Nazir is not allowed to have one, so too a coin who's going to do it is not allowed to have had one. Well, if that's the case, well, then just as a Nazir is not allowed to have grape pips, he's not allowed to have any part of the grapes, well, then so too. A kohen who's going to duchen should also not be allowed to have uh, um, should also not be allowed to have grape pips, and that's definitely not the law. So now, Amr Bitzak Amakro Lishoreis Ulavarech Bishmo. The pasuk said that he's not allowed to serve and bless Hashem's name. Oh, Ma Mishras Mutar Bechartan Afkoyim Mavarech Mutar Bechartan. Well, then, just as someone. Who is serving in the temple? A kohen serving in the temple is allowed to have uh, great pips and still serve in the temple. So, to a kohen who's going to do um, duchen is allowed to. Says, Well, if you're comparing a kohen doing duchening to the avoid in the temple, then um, then he should also then a Balmum should also not be allowed to so Moran says no ho iskish le Nazir it's connected to Nazir so Moran says oh my chazi is the makish le kula akish le chumra why are you connecting it to the different parishes to go lenient you should be connecting it to the different parishes to go le chumra I we connect it to Nazir to say that you're only not allowed to drink wine and duchen. A coin's only not allowed to drink wine and duchen, not to the stricter point that he's not even allowed to have grapes. And we connect it to the paragraph of, uh, we connect it to um, the service in the temple, again, to go lenient, to, to say that he can have grapes, but we don't connect it there to go strict and say that a Balmum can't duchen. So why are you making this? We actually have a principle. Not only does it, where do you see logically to do that? We have a principle that makshin and lechumra. If you have a choice of making a hekesh, a hekesh when you're connecting two alochas and you could either do it to go lenient or to go strict, you have to go strict. That's the way it works. So the Quran says, no, asmachta ninu umidrabonan ulakula. It's only an asmachta and drabonan and therefore you can't go lenient. It's not a real drosha. This that I don't know if it's that this is not the real source, or or that it's only a din derabbanon that a kohen who's drunk is not allowed to duchen. But either way, it's only from either of those aspects. It's only derabbanon, and therefore we can learn it in the lenient way. Okay, then we move going on to the next point in the Mishnah. Now, my kaomar, this line doesn't make sense. 
Again, it says, Eloheina Mamoros, these are the Mamoros. So what do you expect when it starts with these are the Mamoros? You expect a description. And then what does it carry on with? It says, because the Pasuk says, that's the source, not a description of what the Mamoros is. So my comma, what's it saying? So this is what it's saying. Eloheina Mamoros. These are the Mamoros. And then almost in brackets, and what's the source for the Mamoros? The fish in Emar, as it says, Savitz b'nei Yisrael, v'martu alehem es korbani lachmi le'ishai. Command b'nei Yisrael and tell them about my fire offering. But what's that? Command b'nei Yisrael about the Tomid. It's a, it's an, it's an, a korban that's owned by all Jews. Now, I hate korbanosh el adam korei v'hu eino eimeid agovov. How can you have a korban offered by a person and he's not there? So Hitkinu Novim Rishonim, the early Rishonim instituted Esrim Va'arba Mishmaras, 24 groups. I'll call Mishmaru Mishmar Hoyomamid be Yerushalayim, Shal Kohanim, Vishal Livim, Vishal Yisraelim. And every group had a representation, each of the 24 groups had representation in Yerushalayim of Kohanim, Livim, and Yisraelim. Hikiyaz man Mishmar Lalois. Kohanim Levim, Oilim Yerushalayim. And when the time for the Mishmar came, the Kohanim and the Levim would go up to Yerushalayim, etc. Aye, so the Mamor, that's one of the, they were instituted as part of the Mishmaros. Remember the Mishmar, we said that the Kohanim were divided into 24 groups. We'll see more about this a bit lower on the page. And including that with the Levim. Now remember, Kohanim and Levim would actually do the service in the temple. They would be, uh, um, they would be offering the korbanos, the Levim would be singing the songs, and the Israelim would be davening for the korbanos. And as we saw, the Israelim would also gather in their cities who were part of the Mamodos. Again, this is the term Mamodos is for these Jews who are selected to represent the whole of B'nai Israel and be and, and act on their behalf as the owners of the Korban, be there to daven on behalf of the Korban, and as we'll see, have stayed, have special laning and fast days, again, also that the Korban is accepted. So those are the Mamoros. Now we're going to go a little bit more, we're going to go into it a bit more. So, Tan Rabon and Esrim Ba'arba Mishmoros, Hoyu Be'eretz Yisrael, Veshtayim Esra Be'ericho. There were 24 groups of Kohanim in Eretz Yisrael, and 12 in Yericho. If you're telling me that there were 24 in Eretz Yisrael and 12 in Yericho, then there are many more than 24. There's actually 36. 12 of the Mishmoros were in Yericho. We'll see shortly exactly what that means. When it came time for the Mishmar to go up to Yerushalayim, when it was that group of Kohanim's turn to go serve in the base of Migdash, that that group of Kohanim's weak to go serve. Half of the Mishmar would go up to Yerushalayim to serve in the base of Mikdash, and the other half of the Mishmar would go into Yericho in order to provide food and water for the brothers in Yerushalayim. So they would they would take control of the logistics. The half of the Mishmar. So again, so when we say that there were 24 in Yerushalayim, 24 Mishmaros in Yerushalayim and 12 in Yericho, what we're actually really saying is there were 24 Mishmaros and the equivalent of 12 of them would not go up to Yerushalayim but go to Yericho because half of each Mishmar would go up to Yerushalayim and half would go to Yericho to provide for the Kohanim in Yerushalayim. Omar Rabbi Yudah Marshmul, Kohanim Levim Yisraelim Ma'akvin Esa Korman. Rav Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel 
this, the Levim Yisraelim, Kohanim Levim and Yisraelim are essential to the Korban, can invalidate the Korban. I, if you don't have the Mahmud, the Korban can be invalid. He adds, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar adds to the list, Klishir, musical instruments. If the Korban is not offered with the Mahmud and is not offered with musical instruments, it would be invalid. But my Kamifliki, what are they arguing in? That Shmuel left out this point of um, musical instruments and Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar included it. So he says, The one opinion holds that no, the primary form of the Levim singing in the Beis Amikdash was with their mouth, and therefore the musical instruments are not essential. That's Shmuel. And the other opinion holds that no, the primary way that the Kohanim, that the Levim musically accompany the Korponos is with musical instruments. And therefore, it would be invalid. That's how I translated it. Is as invalid seems to be the more the, the one explanation. The others who want to explain that invalid doesn't really mean ma'akvin here doesn't mean um, essential or invalidate the korban. It means we delay the korban. I let's say they were ready to offer the korban at six thirty, but the mamad wasn't yet ready. Then they would push it off so that the mamad could be ready. Ah, it was important enough to have the mamad that you would delay the korban. That's the second explanation of that. We discuss Iklekira. Yeah. Now, the Tosos point out something which is a little bit counterintuitive. <laughs> so he says, we have a machlokes here. Is the primary obligation of, I guess, let's call it musical accompaniment of the korbanos just through the mouth and the Musical instruments were uh, just to help that, but not, not essential. Or is the primary form of musical accompaniment to the korbanos with musical instruments and this that they would sing was just uh, to add to it. So Tosfos says, now listen to this because it's counting chips, it's a lekach. If you hold, it's the last Tosfos on the page, it says, So the one opinion holds that the primary musical accompaniment to the korbanos is by mouth. But just singing. Therefore, you don't need Kohanim who don't have a mum or specific Levim and Kohanim. Anyone, if they have a mum or if they mamzera, they can sing. Because it's just using their mouth. But according to the opinion that it is with musical instruments, they have to actually be Kohanim or Levim. Because the musical instrument was a holy article. Right, so he says, very interesting. If the primary one is the musical instrument, well, then it's a holy article. It has to be done, kind of like the service in the temple, with people who meet that criteria, which would be Levim or Kahanim. But if you hold it's just singing, well, then it can be anyone. Anyone who has a, I guess we could say, anyone who has a beautiful voice can join in, even if they puzzle or a mamzer, because it's not, they're not using the instrument, they're just using their mouth. Why do I say this is counterintuitive? Because we're saying if the primary instrument is their mouth, well, then, the, then it can be a puzzle, a person with a mum or a mamzer. But if the primary instrument is external to the person, then it is limited and restricted to who it is the person. So just the interesting thoughts for us. Okay, next uh, next point. Um, now, just as an introduction, the one way of learning is that this that the mishmaros that the different groups of kohanim serve on different weeks 
is actually Da'araisa. It's just the Torah does not tell us how many groups of Kohanim there must be. So he says, So Omar of Chamabaguria, Omar of Rav Chamabaguria says in the name of Rav, Moshe Tikum Lehem Yisrael Shmoyne Mishmaros. Moshe instituted four Mishmaros. Eight, sorry, eight Mishmaros. Arba Me'alazor, Arba Me'itamar. Four from Elazar and four from Itamar. Those are the two. Um, those are the two sons of Aaron. So they would have had a rotation every eight weeks. The next Kohen group would come to serve, and then the second Kohen, etc. Eight weeks later, he would start again because there were only eight different groups. Yana Shmuel came along and ex- ex- increased it to sixteen. And David came and increased it to 24. How do you know that it was just David himself who increased it to 24? Shanemar is the posset. After it discusses in Divrei Hayomim the different that he did set up 24 groups. How do we know that it was David alone? Because there's Be'yazer Gilad. Okay, and it was in the 40th year, he went and he searched for warriors in Yazer Gilad, but in the 40th year of David, Shmuel wasn't around anymore. So that's how we know that the Mishmaros were, the 24 was exclusively by David. It seems, why did they increase the Mishmar? Because they incre- the Kohanim increased, and the Mishmarim, Mishmaros were getting too large, so they increased it to 24, um, which brings out um, yeah, which makes a little bit of sense. The first, remember, Aaron was the first Kohen. So Eleazar and Itama were the only two Kohanim at the time. And they had some children and a bit of family. So Moshe instituted four Mishmaros. And then eight Mishmaros, four from each of them. And then as they grew, the Kohanim increased. Then they made, Shmuel came along and made 16. And then David increased it to 24. Moshe says, Meisifei. You're telling me this is true. Moshe Tikam Lam Yisrael Shmoy Nemishmaros Arba Melosov Arba Meitamar Bo David Shmuel Ve Emidom Al Esrim Arba says the the Brisa says that Moshe instituted eight Mishmaros, four from Elazar and four from Itamar, and David and Shmuel together came and made a twenty-four. Shemar says Hey Moshe David Shmuel Haroy Be Emunim. So the Gemara answers no Hachikamam Yisoyde Shal David Shmuel Haromas Yemidim Al Esrim Arba. From the institutions of David and Shmuel, it was increased to twenty-four. I not that David and Shmuel together increased it from eight to twenty-four, but between their institutions, it was increased to twenty-four. I Shmuel to sixteen and David to twenty-four. Tanya Irich. There's another Brisa. Moshe Tikei Nohemli Yisrael Sheish Esrei Mishmaros Shmoyim Elazar Shmoyim Itamar. Moshe actually instituted 16 Mishmaros, 8 from Elazar and 8 from Itamar. Oh, Kesherobu B'nai Elazar, Al B'nai Itamar. And when there were much more descendants of Elazar from the family of Elazar than from the family of Itamar, Chalkum Vemidom Al Esrim Arba, they split them and made 24. Shenemar, as it says, Vemsu B'nai Elazar, Rabim Lerosh Akvorim, the sons of Elazar were much more. Count they counted many more men, min bnei Itamar more than there were many more men than the sons of Itamar. And they split bnei Elazar into eight mishmaros. So the descendant um, and from the bnei Itamar it, they left it at eight. Another There was the families of Elazar, each base av was increased, but it remained the same for Itamar. So Moras, why do I need the two psukim? From the first posuk, it seems 
it seems implicit that uh, the Bnei Elozo were increased from 8 to 16 and Bnei Elozo and Bnei Itamar stayed the same. So why does he bring a second possible to say the same thing? Maybe you'll say just as Bnei Elozo increased, so too Bnei Itamar increased. And again, but, and it was just a proportional. And he increased it to eight, but really they started at four. According to this version, you might say that Elozo started with eight Bishvaros and um, Itamar with four, and they doubled each of them. There's no. Toshma base av echod ochuz le Elozo, ochuz ochuz le Itamar. No, only Elozo's Mishmaros were increased, but Itamaros were not increased. Okay, but either way, what are we saying? That Itamar, the second Bryce says that Moshe instituted. 16, 8 Mishmaros from Elazar and 8 Mishmaros from Itamar. And then Elazar was increased, was doubled, so that you ended up with 24. But back to the beginning, we learned Yuftah to Rav Hamabarkuria. This seems to reject Rav Hamabarkuria because he said that Moshe only instituted 4 from each, 4 from Elazar and 4 from Itamar, where here it's saying that he did 8 from each. So Amalukha Rav Hamabarkuria, Tanahi Ba'ana Omri. The Amri ki hai tana to Amar Shpoinah. He says, no, it's a machlokes tenoim, and I'm going in accordance with the opinion that says that there were, uh, that he only instituted eight. Okay, so it's a machlokes tenoim. Did Moshe institute, I guess, 12, um, 16, or did Moshe institute eight? Tonra Bonin. We learned in the Braisa. Arba o mishmoras olo minagoyle. Only four of the Mishmas returned from the exile. The Jews in the 70-year exile from the destruction of the first temple got very comfortable in Bavel. And they didn't want to go up to Eretz Israel. It's actually a huge indictment on the Jews when Ezra called everyone to come back to Eretz Israel to rebuild the Beis Amigdash and to join in. Very, actually, very few went back. It was basically the people who had nothing going for them in Bavel. It was... The people who were either no-gooders or second-class citizens, etc. But it wasn't the bulk of the Jewish people and it wasn't the best of the Jewish people necessarily. Um, so that's who went up. And of the Mishmoros, of the 24 Mishmoros, only four went up. Who were they? Yedaya, Chorim, Pashkur, Ve'imer. So the prophets who lived in their times stood up. And they divided those four into 24. So each of those four Mishmoros who went, who did go up at the time of the second temple, they were split into six. We're going to see how. He made basically a lottery. He wrote out the 24 names and he put them in the bra. Yediah came and took out his share, his portion, and five other portions, so that you have six. So to Charim did the same thing. And, um, and that's how they did it. So each of those, so just to clarify, so the first group came, um, Yediah came, and he took out six. And then Yediah would be the first, um, and Yediah was split into six, but Yediah, the original Yediah would be the first Mishmar, 
and then the other five would follow in the next five weeks. And then the next week, then Chiraim, who came and drew next, drew out five more. So Chiram served, and then the next five would serve after Chiram, etc. And that's how they kept it at 24. And the Nevi'im in those days made a rule. Even if Yehoyoriv, who was the first Mishmar, I back in the second, in the first temple, Yehoyoriv was Mishmar number Aleph. They would serve them. Yedaya became the first one and the main one. The Yehoriv and Yehoriv would be secondary to it. I would write Yehoriv would get back their Mishmar, but they would only take the place of one of the five, of one of the six, but not Yedaya's place. So even though Yehoriv in the time of the first temple were the first, the leader of the Mishmaras, they became the, well, I guess they would fit in in the sixth slot. Okay, so those are the Mishmaras. Um, I was just wondering, like, what sort of Takana is it, like, when we go back to the Beis Amigdash, to rebuild the Beis Amigdash and split Mishmaros, how strict do we have to be to follow David and Shmuel's Takana that there must be 24 Mishmaros? Are they going to maybe go back to 16? Or maybe there are many, many more Kohanim and they say we need to make, uh, seems to be in groups of six, but 32. You know, how, uh, how are they going to uh, split it up? I'm not sure. Now we go back to the Mishnah which said, and the Mamodos, and said that the Yisrael of that Mishmar would gather in their cities and would read from Masabaratius. Either the Mamodos, again, these are the groups of Yisrael representing all of B'nai Yisrael. They would have a special davening, and part of their special davening was this laning. And what was it? Masabaratius, the creation of the world. So, Minani Mili, what's the source? Why did they, what's the source? What's the connection that the Mamodos would lane Masabaratius? So Omar Rabbi Yaakov Bachama Omar Rav Asi Rabbi Yaakov Bachama said in the name of Rav Asi Because if not for the Mamodos If not for the Korbanos And the avoid around the Korbanos The world would not exist Shinemar as it says Avram said to Hashem How do I know that my descendants will inherit the world? And now the Gemara is going to elaborate and explain the background to this question. It says, Omar Avram, Avram said, Rebbeinu shel oilam, Shem Yisrael choytim lofenecha ato, oisolohem kedor amabul kedor aflogah. It says, wait, maybe Yisrael will sin before you, and you will make them to the dora mabul or the dora like you'll do to them you'll destroy them like you did in the de- in the generation of the mabul or the generation where you split them up and their languages i avram's very concerned he says okay it's all very well hashem that you promised me all this good but you know what? there's a likelihood what happens if they sin and then you're going to punish them says omar love hashem says i won't do that so okay but what will give them this power I let they can do chuvah and that you won't destroy them. 
So Amalek, Kachali, Egla Mushaleshes, Ve'ez Mushaleshes, Ve'gomer. I mean, this was the, in the context there, it's the covenant he's making, but he says, take three calves and three goats, etc. But what he's really telling him is that, that B'nai Israel in the future will be able to take Korbanos and serve Hashem. So Amalek, He says, okay, that's all very well when the Beis Amidash is in existence. But what, what the Jews going to do when there's no base Amidash? How are they going to do tshuva? How are they going to be kept in existence? So, Carbonos, I already instituted for them the order of the Carbonos. At the time that they read them before me, I will view it as if they offered them lefonai before me. And I will atone for all their sins. I will come back to this last phrase, but just to bring out a few points, is that um, that what what are we saying? That the korbanos we said that the korbanos are tied to maaseberachus because if not for maaseberachus, if not for the korbanos. Um, the world would be destroyed. And that is because Yisrael would not survive. And if the Jews do not survive, well, that's the purpose of the world. Hashem will. Um, it will turn back into nothing. The world will be destroyed. So that's the that's the general gist of the discussion that and the proof that the, because of the Korbanos, it gives existence, it gives Masa Beratius its uh, validity, its seal of approval. Um, again, because as soon as if the Jews would be um, wiped out, then they would. Um, if the Levim would be, if the if the if Yisrael would be wiped out, then there would be no world. So what guarantees Yisrael's existence? What guarantees their continued existence, and that they won't be wiped out, they won't be destroyed? That is the bringing of Korbanos. Avram then asked Hashem a further question. He says, but wait, that's all very well for the time that they have the Beis Amikdash. What's going to happen when they don't have the Beis Amikdash? And that's where... Uh, um. So that's a very interesting point, and that's an amazing idea. It says, nowadays we don't have a base amigdash, so how are we going to fulfill this? How are we going to manage to stay? How are we going to manage to exist without the korbanos to bring atonement? So Hashem says they can learn about them. They can read about them. I mean, here it actually just says read about them, and I will view it as if you atoned. I mean, interestingly enough, there's a contrasting Gemara in... in uh, a contrast, a similar Gomorrah in Menachos, where it doesn't say they can just read the Korbanos. It implies like this, open a safe, you need to bring a Korban Chattas, you want to ensure our existence, you want to bring a Korban, you want to do it as if Bnei Israel has offered a Korban Tomit, open the Chumash and read about the Korbanos. Or take out the Mishnah and read about the different types of Korbanos and how to offer them. But in uh, in Menachos it actually says, Oisek. You have to delve into it. You have to actually study it, learn it, and understand it. Okay, so that's maybe an argument between our two Gomorrahs. Do you just have to say the Korbanos, or do you just, or do you have to actually learn them? But again, we see the power of learning Torah. That when you can't actually learn, when you can't learn, when you can't actually bring the Korbanos, you can learn about them, and it's as if you brought the Korbanos. 
Um, so that's uh, um, so that's an amazing and amazing idea on the value of learning about Kabbalah. So it's, it's one of the sections that we most dismiss of, and that and uh, but there's there's a clear and strong, solid grounds that we should actually put our energy and time into learning about Korbanos and uh, I guess Vachim and Menachos say to Kodshim. Just two interesting points once we're on this discussion, on this discussion is um, so let's say a person has to, they broke Shabbos by mistake. They forgot, they thought it was Sunday and they fried eggs and then realized it was Shabbos. So if there was a base up Dutch, they would have to bring a carbon chattas. Now that there's no base up Dutch, what do they do? They can read or learn about the the carbon chattas, and it will be as if they offered a carbon chattas. How strong is that? It's as if, let's say, that hopefully should be rebuilt very speedily nowadays. Maybe tomorrow the base up is rebuilt. Does that person still have to bring a carbon chattas, or is he done? The Chovetz Chaim actually says, in some ways, the learning. Um, let me just check. Yeah. The Chovetz Chaim says in some ways this learning is actually better than bringing a korban itself. Granted, if you can bring a korban, well then you have to bring a korban. But where you can't, the learning about the korban is actually better than bringing the korban. That's one opinion. There are others who say, no, it's kind of like an interim measure. This that you can learn about the korban chattas instead, or korbanos instead of bringing the korbanos is an interim measure until the Beis HaMikdash is rebuilt. It gives, it brings atonement. But once it is rebuilt, then you'll have to bring the actual korban. And once we come onto this, we come onto another fascinating discussion: is does this only work for korbanos, or does it work for other mitzvahs as well? Let's say someone's. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. A lost their tefillin. And they, they're away and they've lost their tefillin. Their tefillin got, the, their baggage was left in Johannesburg and they're in some other country and they don't have tefillin. So should they learn about the paragraph of Tehillim and it will be as if they wore tefillin. Or same to it, sukkahs and they don't have a lulav. Can they learn about the lulav and it will be as if they shook the lulav. Do we only say it by korbanos or do we even say it by, uh, by other mitzvahs as well? Okay, so there's sources to say on the way. I'll just give you one example. In their opinions, that the Chofetz Chaim says, no, it's only Bar Korbonos. Others say it's by both of them. Just one of the more interesting ones is it says, let me just find this one. Um, yeah, it says by Lavan. Lavan says, Im Lavan Garti. Yaakov says, Im Lavan Garti. I lived with Lavan. And there's a drosha. What is he? What's he actually saying? Im lavan garti. If you switch the letters around of garti, it's or you take the gematria, it's taryag. So Yaakov is saying, I stayed with lavan and I still kept the 613 mitzvahs. Now the obvious question. I mean, this would apply to anyone. We all have an obligation to fulfill every mitzvah. But how can we? It's impossible. For some mitzvahs you have to be a man. For some mitzvahs you have to be a woman. For some mitzvahs you have to have a base amikdash. You know, and there's some mitzvahs that are, if you're going to do it, then you should do it, but not that there's ever a mitzvah to do it. For example, divorce. And most, and we can't perform the avoider that the kohanim would perform in the Beis HaMikdash. Um, kohanim, I guess, can't fulfill the mitzvah of Pijan Ben. 
So no one person, and some mitzvahs are specific, there are at least three mitzvahs, but there are some mitzvahs that are specific to a king. So no one person can fulfill every single mitzvah. So how could Yaakov come along and say, I've fulfilled the whole Torah? It must be because he learned. And if you learn about those, it says if you fulfill them. So you want to fulfill the mitzvahs that only a king can fulfill, you learn about that parish in the Chumash. You want to fulfill the mitzvahs that only uh, Kohanim can fulfill, you learn those parshios in the Chumash. Or you learn those Gemaras and that will be. That's the one interesting proof. To, again, to this question, we've said here clearly that if you learn, or again, Al Gemari might just have to say it. You might not even have to learn. You might just have to read it. But we see that if you learn about the Korbanas, if you offer the Korbanas, does that extend to other mitzvahs as well? Okay, Tonu Rabban and Anshe Mahmud. I'm just switching two words. Anshe Mahmud, or you misspell Al Korban for the korbanos of their brothers that they should be accepted. And the men of the Mishma, these were the ones who were in Yericho, they would gather into the Beis into the shuls, and they would keep four fasts, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Now, why did they fast on those days? So, Beshaini al Yorday Hayam. On the second, now Rashi, interestingly, we're going to give, well, let's just read them. On Shani al Yam, on Monday, for they would fast on behalf of those traveling Basi. Bishlishi al Holchemid Boros, on Tuesday, for those traveling to the desert. Bereviye al Askara Shalotipal al Tinokos, on Wednesday, so that this Askara, this disease, doesn't affect children. Bechamishi al Uboros Umeinikos. And on Thursday, for pregnant women and also nursing women, um, pregnant women, so that they should not miscarry, and nursing women, so that they should be able to nurse their children. I mean, I never realized that until I had children, but uh, it's not always so straightforward to get children to eat and have uh, milk from their mother, and not all women are able to produce enough milk, and it's a whole, uh, it's a whole story. Um, so that's the, the Thursday davening was for that. So now Rashi actually connects the days that they would fast to the laning of that day. Remember, on Monday they laning about the second day of creation. Yirokia, let there be heavens. Besochamayim within the water. So that's when they would. That day was focused on behalf of those traveling by sea. On the third day of creation, on yeah, on Tuesday. The third day of creation was for those who traveled by desert. As the post says, And the dry land became visible. And the, on Wednesday it was for Askarosh, because there it's the, on the fourth day of creation, the Ma'oros, the luminaries were put in the sky, but it can be read as Ma'aras, the curse. Wednesday's subject is more subject to curses and problems, um, and therefore Nislaham um, Ma'oros. Um, um, that's when we daven against curses like diseases coming on children. And, and Thursday was for nursing, uh, pregnant and nursing women, because that's where it says, Yishru to Amayim Sheres Nefesh Chaya. Chaya is another word for childbirth and life of, of the, that, um, etc. So that's uh, Rashi Taz, the specific, what they were specifically fasting for to the that day of creation and the laming. On Erev Shabbos they would not fast because out of honor to Shabbos that you could go into Shabbos in a good state how much more so on Shabbos itself. 
there's a big discussion exactly when are you allowed to eat and what are you allowed to eat and are you allowed to fast on Erev Shabbos. In short, Lahalocha, you shouldn't really eat a meal late from about the nine and a half, approximately the ninth and a half hour of the day. But in general, a person should focus on Friday. They should do what they can do, obviously to come into Shabbos in a good frame of mind, but also that you're hungry to enjoy your Shabbos meal. And that would depend on you. If you're someone who, if you just have a big lunch, then you will be hungry, but energetic for Friday night, then that's what you should do. If you're someone who, if you have a big lunch, you won't be able to eat Friday night, well, then you should rather have a smaller lunch. If you're someone who needs to have a, something to eat later in the afternoon, otherwise you're going to be starving and grumpy by Friday night, then that's what you should do. That would be the general guideline of how I understood the different halakhas. Um, remember, we were discussing the other day that uh, this is relevant because we were discussing the other day what, where, where it came up. I'm trying to think of the context that came up. That there, sometimes the psak has to, oh, it was, should you say, if you're sitting on a fast day and it starts to rain, there was a fast for rain and it starts to rain, should you go home and eat something and come back and say halal? Or should you say halal immediately? And we said, ideally, it seems you should eat something and then say halal so that you're in a better frame of mind to say halal, praise Hashem, better. If, you, if you're starving, you can't praise Hashem as well. Uh, or, but on the other hand, there was a town where there was a concern that if they went back, they would start, they'd have a bit of alcohol with their lunch and they wouldn't be able to say halal properly or they would forget to say halal. So therefore, they should rather say halal before eating. So what do we see there? The halacha is tailored to what would be most effective for those people or that person. And so to you, yeah, with eating and fasting on Erev Shabbos, we would say the same thing. It's got to be tailored to what would be most, um, most uh, effective for the de- desired results for those people. Okay, but in general, we don't fast on Erev Shabbos so that you don't go into Shabbos depressed and grumpy. Why don't we fast on Sunday? Now, interestingly enough, yesterday, uh, when, was it two, uh, when we learned the Mishnah, the Mishnah gave a reason. It says the reason that they don't fast on Sunday is so that they don't go from Menucha to Onik, from Menucha and Onik, from enjoying themselves to the suffering, and it will cause them to, become, to die or become sick. That was all in brackets. Which makes a lot of sense now because this Gemara is going to bring a few different opinions why they don't fast on us on Sunday. My time alone. Why do the Mamoros not fast on Sunday? So I'm Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi Yochanan says it's because of the, we're going to say Nazareans, but it often refers to the Christians. For them it was a Yom Tov, and if we fast on that day, it would cause a bit of conflict, and therefore we don't fast on the Sunday. Um, I've never heard of other fasts not occurring, but the Mamodos wouldn't fast on Sunday because of the Noitzrim. Rabbi Shmuel Ben Achmeni, or Rabbi Neishahu Shlishli Yitzira. Rabbi Shmuel Ben Achmeni says it's because it's the third day of creation of man. Remember, man was created on Friday, so Friday, Shabbos, Sunday. Um, people are more sensitive or more subject to illness on the third day of a big event. It seems like of creation, of uh, being created of sickness. So therefore the third day is when we're most worried. Um, Reish Lokish says because of the extra neshama that a person gets on Shabbos and then they lose that on Sunday. So they're more vulnerable. So I think that's what it's saying.
Yeah. Says, um, and w- w- this is the drasha of Reish Lakish. Neshama Yisrael Nisna Baba Adam. There was an extra neshama given to man. The erev Shabbos on erev Shabbos. But Motzei Shabbos noitin osamimenu, and on Motzei Shabbos is taken from him. Shenemar Shabbos byinofash. Read it and don't read it as byinofash. Read it as voy nefesh. Kiven sheshavas after having kept Shabbos. I'm Motzei Shabbos. Vay of the nefesh. Woe to me that I've lost my neshama. Okay, so there's a special neshama that's given to a person on Erev Shabbos. On Motzei Shabbos it's taken. So to now go along and add to that and say that he has to fast will be a bit much. Okay, now we carry on. Vayom HaRishon Bereshis Vayihirokia. What would they lay on the Sunday? The Mamorists, remember, they lay according to the laying of the Chumash. So they would lay Bereshis and Yihirokia. Now for the next discussion, we have to be aware that the paragraph of Bereshis is five psukim. It's posuk one to five. And the posuk and the paragraph of the Yehirukia is Vov to Ches, six to eight. So one to five and six to eight. So he says, Tana, we learned to the Bryce Bereshis, Bishnayim, Yehirukia, Be'echot. You would call up two people for Bereshis for the first paragraph, for Psukim one, two, three, four, and five. I, that would be two aliyahs. And one aliyah and the second Yehirukia from six, seven, and eight would be. One aliyah. Now, Bishlam Yehirokia be'echot klasa psukim havei. Okay, Yehirokia can give one aliyah because it's three psukim. Ela bereshis b'shnayim. How can you split bereshis into two aliyahs? Hey, psukim havei, and it's five psukim. For hotanya hakore b'torah alifchos kimo psukim. Someone who's called up to lane from the Torah can only lane three. The minimum he can lane is three psukim. So, if you have five psukim, how do you split it that you have three psukim for each aliyah? So, Omar Rav Dilog Rav says you go back. Ah, you would lay in one, two, and three for Kohen. And then for Levi, for the second Aliyah, you would do three again. Three, four, and five. So one, two, and three, three, four, and five. Shmuel, I'm a Poisek. Shmuel says you stop in the middle. Ah, you do two and a half psukim for Kohen and two and a half psukim for Levi. Or a half and two psukim for Levi. For Rav, the Amar, Dilog, my time, Amar, Rav, who says that you repeat the Pasuk, or you read the Pasuk Gimel again, why doesn't he say you split the Pasuk? He holds a no. Any Pasuk that Moshe didn't tell us, you can put a break there, we don't make the Pasuk. I even though there's no vowels and no punctuation in the Chumash, we have a Masorah going back to Moshe, how to read it and where to read the end of the Pasukim. And you're not allowed to read a half Pasuk. Based on how Moshe taught us. Just on this, we're starting to run a bit later than I wanted. But just on this, there's an interesting discussion. There are a few psuk times when we do read half psukim. And there's a whole question of how you can do it. I, for example, Shabbos morning, just before Kiddush, we say, Al-Kain Bayraches Yom HaShabbos. That's a half pasuk. Um, just before Shema, uh, Kiddush on Friday night. Also not a full pasuk. Um, where are there others? But there are a few times where you say, and how can you say them? How can you say those half psukim? Um, big discussion, but let's, uh, let's race, let's get a bit further. So we're not, so Rav says you can't split the pasuk in half and do two and a half psukim per aliyah because you're not allowed to put, put a split of pasuk. Shmuel, Omar Poisek. Shmuel says you do make an interrupt, you do split the pasuk. Oh, me poskad, and how can he make an interruption? For Homer Bichanina Korotzar Godol, Hoyoli Eitzel Rebichanina Godol. I went to great effort when I, um, this is Rabbi Hanina Kro, the Rabbi Hanina, the Chumash expert. He would, he was the Chumash expert, and he would teach children. And he says I went to a huge effort to Rabbi Hanina Hagodol 
to try, just I'm filling in from Rashi, to try get him to allow me to split Psukim. The only time he let me split Psukim was when teaching children. Since it was done to teach them. You can't read a whole Psukim and expect a child to get it. You have to break the Psukim up into pieces and read a few, a phrase and a, a phrase by phrase so that the children can repeat it and get it. So he, he like really says, I had to fight to get to get Rabbi Hanina Godel to allow me to split the psukim. And here we have Shmuel just saying, nah, you can split the psukim. So he says, no, Shmuel has some time in mind. So Shmuel says, what's the reason he allowed him to split the psukim when teaching children? Because it's impossible otherwise. It's the only way to teach the children. So he allows it. Well, hachanami so to here. It's impossible to do it another way. There's no way to get three, two aliyahs out of five psukim unless you split the one psuk in half. But why doesn't he say like Rav that you just repeat the Pasuk? I read one, two, and three, and then read again three, four, and five. So he says, no, it's because of those coming in and those leaving the base Midrash. Those coming in, if they saw you, if someone arrives late and they see you read Pasuk, Gimel, Talad, and Hey, they're going to think the first Aliyah was only Aleph and Beis, only two Psukim. Or if someone is leaving early, and he sees you read for Rishon, for, the, for calling up coin you read Aleph, Beis, and Gimel. What happens when he leaves early? He thinks you're going to finish the paragraph, I read only 4 and 5, Dalet and Hay, and do two Psukim. So we don't want someone to get confused like that. He says, oh, Macy Bay, they challenged this. Is this even an option? He says, If you have a paragraph in the Chumash of six Psukim, you can call up two people, each one doing three. The Shalchamisha be Yochid, but if it has five Sukim, you can only work, use one person. What happens if the first person only learned, laned, or only got the Aliyah of three Psukim from that paragraph, and then he finished laning, and now you've got two Psukim left in the paragraph? What do you do? The second one reads two from this parsha. And three from the next parsha. But either way, and some say three because you can't read one pasuk from a parsha. So you would read the two psukim from the last parsha and three psukim from the new parsha. That's how you should do it. Says now, but Omar. Now this is going to be a difficulty with both Rav and Shmuel. Says Lamanta Omar Dilug Doileg Liduleg. According, why does he say this is option? Okay, we said you had someone read three psukim from the one parsha, and then what does the next person do? So he said he reads the two psukim from the first parsha, and three psukim from the next parsha. Why doesn't he just say doilek? Why doesn't he just say, go back and read the pasuk again? According to Shmuel, okay, why does he say you read more psukim from a second parsha, just split one of the psukim in half? So Gmaran says, no, shiny. Shiny hosom de isile revocha. Over there, by regular laning, it's fine because there's space. Ah, what does he mean? The mamoras are limited to lane what's brought in Masse Beratius. So therefore, you get stuck because you have five psukim and two psukim. You can't just endlessly add on. But when you're laning in the rest before our parshas were set, so he, he, he ends off in the middle of a paragraph, just start reading from the next paragraph and split the Aliyah a bit later. You're not as restricted by splitting the, to splitting the Aliyahs and therefore a preferable solution would be to lane the two from the first parasha 
and a few more psukim from the second para- from the first paragraph and a few more psukim from the second paragraph. Again, by the Korbanos, as we said, you can't do that. Um, yeah, and we'll leave it here for today.